we spent a lot of time talking about it already, but let's just try and crystallise our thoughts on exactly why it is that Ireland totally dominated the Cheltenham Festival 2021, Richard. I think even allowing for all the stats, they might have slightly overperformed, but it's the culmination of a trend that we've been seeing progressively during the course of the last few years. Um, I'd like to try and explain it, your supply chain, if you like. Yep. And with national hunt racing, you have quite... The years go quite stack quite high. On the flat, you've got two-year-olds and three-year-olds. If you want to turn it round, you invest in the two-year-olds and maybe you get a better return. Here, you've got five or six generations that make up your national hunt statistics. If you split those into a sort of rectangle and cut it in half, depending on whether Britain or Ireland was in front, traditionally, Britain was higher. And as they've dropped off the top, everything that's been coming in the bottom, as we've been hearing from this morning, is all about your supply chain. It's all about where you're sourcing those horses. It's about how you're developing those horses. The fact that people are prepared as a business decision to invest in young horses that cost an awful lot of money, but hoping that they will bring them on. Like Sue Smith said, she can do it herself. Lots of other people won't. They'll want to buy the finished article. There are nursery trainers, mm -hmm. people who are preparing them for Irish point-to-points. Yeah. And as a result, they are looking at a very big return. It is a high-risk strategy, and it can go pear-shaped. But there are many more people in Ireland, I think, capable of performing that function well. And as a result, they're getting the business. A couple of other things. Don't underestimate the effect of the advent of the boutique sales, i.e. the very high-end, expensive point-to-pointers in boutique sales, because that is giving the people who produce those horses a chance for a big payout. So if they go and buy 30 or 40 stores for big money at the sales, they've got a massive liability, potentially, if they can't move those horses on. Yes. It, their best ones, by the time they've worked out which the best ones are, because bear in mind, the ones that aren't the best aren't going to be worth very much, those best ones need to be making three, four, five hundred thousand in order for them to do business. Yeah, and sold to the right people. And so they stratify the right them well. You have an A grade, B grade, C grade, and they're sold to the right ownership. So, and handicapping, which we haven't got time for. Yeah, but I will just give you a, if you think this is going to get better in terms of production, think again if you're, if you're British based, because in 2012 and 13, you're looking at full crops in Ireland, national hunt and dual purpose of 3,000, between three and three and a half thousand, and just over a thousand in Britain. In 2019, just over 4,000 in Ireland versus, again, just over 1,000 in Britain. So the fold crops, national hunt dual purpose, have gone rocketing up again in Ireland, so you have more to filter from, and they've stayed pretty much static in Britain. Mm. So. so basically, don't expect things to change anytime, anytime soon. soon. And it does need the sort of investment that we were talking about for that 10-year window. Yeah. You spoke about 20 years, you said, with Willie Mullins and, and Brian Kavanagh, but certainly uh, 10 years when you were talking to... Henry de Bromhead and Barry was fast track and that was about five. So <laughs> we're going over the two minutes. And one final point, just to tidy <laughs> in, tie in a, a strand from Richard Thompson's interview. Um, if you do spot somebody in Britain with a, quite a bit of cash who wants to invest in national hunt racing, make sure you don't sit them next to Willie Mullins at the Petro <laughs> Sullivan lunch. You've got absolutely no chance. Um, let's talk about... Let's talk about the, uh, the Mayor's this Allowance. Is round two for you and me, because this was on the last time I it was, was on as yeah. well. And I still remain pretty much in the same camp. Um, the Mayor's Initiative has been fantastic, as we heard from Henry, in bringing on those top mm. mayors and encouraging them to keep in training. We've got to the stage now where you were saying you don't mind whether you have a filly or a colt. But I'm yet to be convinced that there is any physical difference between a filly or mayor and a colt or a gelding in terms of their performance. Now, if that can be proved by a, a James Willoughby running it through that they deserve an allowance, 
then maybe fine. But we are now a sport that prides ourselves on the equal participation of both our jockeys mm. and in other equestrian spheres of also three-day eventing, badminton champions competing on level terms, whether they be of either sex. Mares or, or geldings, so what, yeah. So what I'm effectively saying is that I think the mayor is there to bring on the raw material, but if you run in a championship race against colts and geldings, I still remain unconvinced that there is any logical reason for a mayor's lance. Wait for age, absolutely fine, because it's two different commodities trying to equate them. I'm not convinced that that's the case here. And I, when you get a, and I'm not choosing put the kettle on, it's just the race that fits. When you get a horse that is beaten by a narrow margin, for something that you could argue is an artificial allowance in a championship race sits a bit uncomfortable. I think when you reach parity in terms of amount of runners on the track, then it's an argument that's worth considering, particularly at the moment on the flat. If you look at Group 1 races, Grade 1 races around the world on the flat of the last 10, 15 years, the percentage of female winners is now entirely disproportionate, and there's a major argument for that to be looked at again. I think national hunt racing, we are still in the relative infancy of parity for female racehorses because there's simply not enough of them getting to the track in the first place relative to their male counterparts. So if this is part of an initiative to keep that going, I think for the short term at any rate, I would say keep the allowance. Okay, two contrasting views there. I certainly think it should be monitored over time. I think yeah. that's, um, like, as a numbers person, the champion in the championship races, Honeysuckle would have been. Yeah, I think in- That, ma that matters more and that's a greater achievement. I think in a, a decade, I'll be agreeing with you. Okay. But not at the moment. <laughs> um, what we can agree on is that Tiger rolls a splendid racehorse. Uh, five Cheltenham Festival victories, three in the cross country, one in the old four miler under Lisa O'Neill who spoke this week, and one in the Triumph Hurdle of course when he'd just been bought out of Nigel Hawke's stable. The two Grand Nationals by the way, he won't run this year. Might go to entry though in the Betway Bowl. Where he might meet Aplutar, mightn't it? Based yeah, on what we makes heard. it slightly less attractive <laughs> that, doesn't it? <laughs> so, uh, look, the let's deal with the, what a great result it was to see him back and the reaction of Keith Donahoe, because mm. that, that really was, one again, one of the things that we, that horse has kept that man riding with a huge battle for the scales, and they've been united again to great effect and still look a fresh horse. We spoke about Sue Smith and Vintage Clouds. These horses can take more racing than maybe, maybe we give them credit for. Yeah. And, you know, when you get horses like that that have had pretty hard careers, pretty tough seasons, producing their form, then maybe we should just not make you know, we should see our horses more regularly and not feel that's going to detriment their performance at the festivals. As regards to the Grand National, it is such a shame. It simply is, it is. because you cannot argue. What was Easy Land rated? <laughs> Being sarcastic, you know, 166 is perfectly fair based on that. And if you want the horse to drop, you have to run them in races in which he can be dropped. And he, by and large, hadn't been. So it is a shame because it would have been a fantastic story but it is not going to happen. Let's just celebrate Tiger Roll and his achievements, in this case at the festival, in winning five times, which puts him in a very, very unique bracket. I felt a great sadness that he wasn't going to run this year. I spoke about it with Eddie O'Leary earlier in the week. It's not impossible, of course, that he ends up running in the Grand National next year. No, absolutely. But, but if he's done that, Yes, then it will give the handicapper less of an incentive to drop him. And I think that's part of the reason why they're saying we're going to go to all these park course races to try and get his mark down. Yes, which probably would have been the strategy maybe at the slightly beginning of the, the season.
but it's a shame, but let's not detract from no. the experience we had last week with Tiger Roll was brilliant. He's truly a one-off in every respect, um, Tiger Roll. Now, go. I haven't seen this because I've been working on racing TV all week and I haven't had a chance to get back and watch the ITV Hub, but there was a feature on Tuesday afternoon on ITV Racing about uh, the struggles that racing has had with COVID, how it's got through COVID, and whether last year's Cheltenham Festival fundamentally ought to have gone ahead with contributions, I think, from Piers Morgan and Nick Rusty. Yeah, Emma Lavelle as well. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. Wanted, I wanted to walk into the lion's den here and try and explain you know, the editorial rationale about that and how the audience which terrestrial television has differs markedly mm. from the audience we'll have in the morning. Um, normally 450,000 roughly watch an ITV4 and did a Channel 4 programme, but you have 1.2 million watching at the time the feature went out on Tuesday. Those seven to 800,000 sort of have a transient interest in racing, but they are the potential audience that we're looking to win over to become racing TV subscribers of the future and in to three, go racing, three to yeah. five years' time, exactly. And to bet. And their backdrop to the festival, if you'd followed the news stories on the Tuesday, ask anyone who was being interviewed, was the fact that it was Gordon Elliott and it was COVID. And so, in our opinion, it would have been wholly inappropriate not to mention that. And if you're going to mention it, you need to address it in the early stages when it is most topical. Now, I appreciate for people sitting at home who want four days of really enjoying Cheltenham, it might have been a bit in your face. But it's seven minutes out of what then is 14 hours worth of broadcasting. You've then cleared it out of the way. You've tried to present it in a purely balanced fashion, admittedly with Piers Morgan on one side and you know, Nick Rust on the other. But you're just reminding people of the actuality of the timeline and the fact that government advice was that you would continue to race. There were financial implications and Piers obviously put his thing very practically but even he admitted that racing was being encouraged to race so the idea was for those group of people who had listened to it on the news in the morning I'll just make down super spreader killer festival yeah. the interview with Judy Harrington the great thing about it was that by the end of the week having pushed it to one side yeah. we could all accentuate the positives I'm not asking everyone to agree with that but that is the rationale behind putting in a feature that we felt confronted something that needed talking about rather than just cheerleading all the time for racing. I'm always much more comfortable, whatever platform I happen to be on, if you face issues head on rather than pretending they don't exist. I think if you break it into bits and work out that if you are going to run it and you take that decision, um, and it's obviously a judgment call, then it's only appropriate at the front because you want it out of the way. And if you tried to run it after Honeysuckle had won, for example, you know, that would have been well, it would have been jarring, yeah. yeah. It, it's still relatively jarring where it appears, but maybe people can just sit back a little bit from the obvious knee-jerk reaction it got from some within racing at the time and just, you might not agree, but see the rationale because I think it is quite important and the BHA have had this with some issues that are going to come out for racing that we do talk and confront them because we are going to have more. Siege mentality is not acceptable for, for us, I don't think. Even though we talked about it a few weeks ago with the Gordon Elliott situation, you could completely understand why there was that within the stable, but you know, outside you've got to you've got to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, we've had the conversations already that we were encouraging people to have for that audience that had just joined us. No Cheltenham in 2021, first time they possibly had come back to the festival. And so, you know, we would, in similar circumstances, run exactly the same feature again were you to have that same decision. But not all of those will agree with it. Uh, I, I've got to kick on. I, I, Sorry, again, this is one I could really talk about for yeah, a long time. You're better at this than me, isn't it? So you kick off with this one. It's Fet Checks at the Cheltenham Well, yeah, this is, this is interesting, actually. And this is, a, I think, a, a hat tip to the BHA and a, an initiative brought in by uh, David Sykes during his tenure there. Um, 
there's a, a pre-engagement 45 days beforehand sharing information about any recent issues and treatment and flagging of any horses that move poorly. Um, so it's a, it's a, a process that is uh, a, a collaborative process, a cooperative process between the trainers and the authority to make sure that all horses at Cheltenham particularly and at, at entry as well for the Grand National are in absolutely tip-top condition with the eyes of the world on the event. There's a red amber and green response and some horses are withdrawn before the festival, others requiring more info and a particular checking on the day itself. Um, and then there are various checks on the day. Multiple vets see the horses at Cheltenham's racecourse stables assessed. That you know, there's a heart specialist if there's any problem that, that comes to light. If a horse isn't moving right, it's just assessed over several hours. It's not just an immediate snap assessment. It doesn't just get withdrawn. It's a, it's a cooperative, collaborative process. Now this week, two were withdrawn on Thursday. Double shuffle with an irregular heartbeat and young Dev who was slightly lame behind. And on Friday, Le Patriot was uh, withdrawn with an active hot suspensory as well and, and the new with an irregular heartbeat Castle Robin with a, with a sore shin. Now the BHA want to stress it's not that the trainers are at fault but it's issues that they might not otherwise have spotted come to light or know about could have happened in transit certainly you wouldn't be able to see an irregular heartbeat but I think the key Richard is that the authority is ahead of the game on this and it was a relatively incident free festival. It was and that's always you know very fine margins but I think it's important to understand that welfare has to be a constant theme drip-fed throughout. The reaction you get when, sadly, a horse passes, particularly a well-loved one, um, means it can all be a little bit hysterical. And these sort of things happening behind the scenes on a regular basis, they all just help racing be more confident in its welfare strategy so it doesn't have to keep defending it and can actually promote it. Yeah, and I certainly haven't heard any, any complaints about any of those horses that were withdrawn either on that basis. A few horses to follow. Yeah, we just thought we'd introduce them traditionally. I mean, I suppose that we haven't chatted much about Alaho, who I thought was, you know, it was the stunning performance actually. Well, he was a monster, wasn't he? Of the, of the festival, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he just took the breath away. He went. He seemed to be going hard enough, and the sectional analysis that James um, and Simon Rowlands and people provide tend to suggest that that was the case. That you shouldn't demigrate it. He broke the hearts of some serious horses mm. in the Ryanair who've been round the block a few times at festivals. Some never got a look in, and some like Min were left absolutely trailing after trying to mix it with a horse that was just electric at his fences. So he's top of the list as regards the conditions races. Um, Iblio and Fleur are two handicappers that caught my mm. eye. Iblio, I felt if the Johnny Henderson had been run on the new, new course, course, he would have been very, very close because he was one of those you just never saw until he passed the line, called him in third, thinking, where did he come from? Did I miss him? Went back and you, you can't see him. He just was taken off his feet early. And Fleur, a different reasons, got Joseph O'Brien's got knocked back in an early stage. Very difficult then to pick your way through and, and finished off strongly. And I think it's a relatively new acquisition into the yard. I'd be surprised if they can't find an opening for, for her before too long. So that's a few from me. Any from you? Huntsman's Son is one of the county. Oh, Huntsman's Son for Alex yeah, Hales. Hales. Was it County Hurdle? It was a, the race that he came from the back end. I don't think it was a County Hurdle, actually. It was, he, was he not a. Third a time lucky was another yeah. one who was. Um, you know, I thought got there a little bit early in the, in the county, actually. Yeah, he ran very well. But actually, Dan Skelton's horses generally ran very well. He they was did. very unlucky not to, not to leave they with the They did. Winner. The ride on Chamblou was a little bit overly aggressive. aggressive. And I think that's hard. When you get into a rhythm like Rachel did all week, but if it doesn't quite go right, you're always on the back foot. Mm -hmm. I think you'll just be slightly disappointed. Things didn't pan out, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're as poor as that. Third time lucky Swinton, something like that. Yeah. In another year, he could have had third time lucky. He could have had... Um Langer Dan, Langer Dan, he yeah. could have had Nubi Negra. I thought he got close. Although Venetia's horses generally ran pretty well. Yeah. A bit of disappointment in the Gold Cup, they ran well. Yeah. Um, Colin Tizard's horses ran well in the main. Yeah. Just they didn't win, did they? And no. So that total remained, remained five. 
And really, as we draw this section to a close, um, what we mean by for the sport, Richard, is this was, this was sport in the raw with nothing else besides. No, there's none of that accoutrements that surround it, the commercialism and the, you know, some of the fluff, if you like, for those of the, the purists. And I think that's why we wanted to end with this, because if you do go back to Tuesday, and we mentioned the COVID feature and the way racing came into this, Four days later, it can hang its head massively. It was helped by the stories. The same slot on Radio 4 that had been given to Julie Harrington, who got mm. such a hard time, was 24 hours later being given to Katie Walsh to talk about the story of, we don't deal with female jockeys, but in the mainstream media, you certainly do, the female rider aspect, which, of course, um, all of the news things were prepared to really run with. But it was more than that, wasn't it? It was the fact that the sport stood up. Mm. There were no major welfare issues. There were no really major whip issues and it really focused the intention on the beauty, the skill of the horse and riders. And I think racing can come away from these four days very, very keen that it has a product that will stand and is very resilient. We've heard about resilience right the way through this program from the jockeys to the trainers laying down the foundations. We should leave this feeling that we can go on the front foot, that we have a sport that we can absolutely be proud of, that the product itself stands scrutiny and maybe now it's for us to engage with all of those people mm -hmm. who have taken an interest in the sport through lockdown, um, that we can convince them that one of the first places they want to go back to is a race course. And this is doubly, trebly more important in, in this year of all years, because this is the year beyond which we will be seeking that commercial investment to, in order to ensure that the, the sport is on a sound footing. Absolutely. And, you know, let's face it, everything's going to be competing for money, but the industry aspect of racing the Reliant on Racing feature that ITB in running, showing how much it encompasses. It is not just horses running around a field for somebody's betting pleasure. It is the highest quality of equine care, excellence in sport, providing the sort of finishes and stories that we saw over the last four days, and long may it last. Nothing to add to that.